Sorry about that. Here we go. One, two, uh, uh, uh. Welcome, everybody, to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. Sorry? Did you say something, Megan? No, nobody said anything. Oh, okay. I'll do it again. Maybe it was just like an echo or something. Okay. I'll start again. All right. In three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And tonight, I'm here with my co-writer and my friend, Pat Picciarelli, as usual. Hi, everybody. And in Pennsylvania or New York, wherever she's coming from, from our satellite offices, is Megan Horn, our millennium of our <laughs> decade. How are you, my How darling? How are we doing, guys? Doing great. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned the topic that we did a lot of research on, so maybe you want to read our audience the what is it, email, right? Email. Yeah, we had a message. We had a message from somebody named Joseph who asked what Johnny and Pat might know about the Colombo family wars. Funny you should ask. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I guess he didn't read our book, uh, Hollywood Godfather. You would know that I got in, in the midst of all of this early on in, in 71, June of 71 to be exact, when Joe Gallo finally came out of prison and shot Joe Colombo, tw uh, June 28th, and that started a, another whole situation. But let's start from the beginning, because most people don't know, in 1931, they formed the Italian-American Mafia, and the gentleman that did it was Salvatore Maranzano. And Maranzano created the first five families, but not the five families that we know of today. And um, Maranzano then was taken out by a name you'll know, Carlo Gambino, who was an import. And at a young age, Carlo was made in Sicily at 17. And then the families as we knew them from that day on became the, uh, the Bonanno, Colombo, Gambino, Genovese, and Lucchese families. And Maranzano was an associate, and he created the commission that oversaw all of that, which was Lucky Luciano, and that included the outfit in Chicago and, and Buffalo and all the other parts later on in life. But as I po pointed out, my personal uh, meetings with uh, Joe Pavacci was early on as we're, we're getting very involved with this in our upcoming book called Sinatra, Me and the Mob. And uh, Joe Pofacci happened to be at one of the meetings at the Waldorf when Frank Costello asked for the assistance of not only the five families, but the commission to get JFK elected. And he, he was an advocate, as I remember, for the Democrats already. And fortunately, and unfortunately, uh, he died, Giuseppe Provacci. Uh, he was known as the olive oil king, but he died in 62 and was so happy that JFK became president, never to see how Robert turned against everyone. But that was starting the fall of it all and um, it, uh, you know, well, Pat could bring us in on how that, that whole war against each other materialized. And okay, well, there, were, there, there were quite a few wars, actually. There were three major wars. There are three. Can you, can you move a little closer, Pat? You're, you're muffled. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Uh, there were 
actually three major wars with the Colombos, but what we're going to talk about is some more recent history when uh, Carmine Persico was heading the family and uh, he got uh, he got arrested, convicted, went to jail, wanted his son, Ali Boy, to take over. And Ali Boy, who I knew, I told you the Ali Boy story when he found my gun. Yep. Yeah, okay. Well, he wasn't a bad guy as far as I'm concerned. But anyway. No, he was uh, a nice kid, too. I, re I remember him. Yeah, I have no, no problems with him. In fact, if, if, if it wasn't for him finding my gun in the bathroom, the idiot that I was, I left it in there. <laughs> called me called to come and get it. Yeah, you were doing more of a Colombo. Uh, there you go. Uh, the yeah. detective than the Colombo crime more, family. Would have taken, <laughs> definitely taken his side. He, he did me a nice turn. But anyway. Uh, but Ali, well, I, I, I would, I'd, I'd like to interject one thing uh, prior because we got to get to it anyway. The first real war Joe Gallo started but then didn't go anywhere because he got imprisoned. Yeah. And that went away. Yeah. And then it was the second war you're talking about when Joe got shot. And that's when they, you know, Junior wanted to, to make his son the boss. And that's when the second, uh, yeah. yeah he, he, wanted to, he, he wanted to always leave uh, his legacy up to his son. Right. His uh, son was a made guy. His son was a street guy. Uh, he was a tough, tough guy. And he figured if, if he ever went away, he want Ali Boy to take over. Well, Ali Boy gets locked up for bookmaking. Big deal. He jumps bail. And he basically takes it on the lamb. And it wasn't anybody for a while. And it wasn't anybody to take over the family. So he appoints one of his capos named Victor Arena to be a stand-in boss while Carmine, B-boss, is, is doing time. But he was only a street boss. And Carmine was supposed to continue to pull the strings from inside prison, which which happens. This happened when uh, uh, Gotti went away. This happens when everybody goes away. That's a boss. Right. They run it. Some people have more power than others. But Persico was respected and feared, and he was going to run his family, but he needed somebody on the street. So he picks Victor Arena. Arena decides that uh, a lot of things are passing the family by with Carmine in jail. Plus, there was a there was word of a movie and a book that was going to be about Carmine uh, back then. And uh, Arena believed in the mafia. That's a secret organization. And he didn't like that idea. But mostly he uh, thought that there were good uh, opportunities passing them by because Persico was in prison. So he decides that he wanted to take it over, but not without some backing which he got from some people, but not others. And there was the uh, Lorena faction and there was the Persico faction. And the last thing anybody wants to do is go into a shooting war. Uh, and you've heard the expression before, but it's bad for business. I mean, the media gets a hold of it. Uh, business has to stop because you're fighting for your lives. Uh, but that's what it came down to. And uh, he, he petitioned the commission to recognize him as a boss with Persico in jail. Right. Uh, but they voted against him. Right. And that's and when he went crazy. Uh, so he goes to Carmine Sessa, who was his underboss, uh, or, uh, or he was a captain. Uh, or, no, he, Carmine Sessa was the consigliere. Who, for those of you who don't know what that is, he's an elder statesman in the mob who acts as a counselor. Uh, within a, a particular family. So he tells, he he confides in Sessa that he wants to take over the family and to take a poll of who's going to go with him and who's going to stay with the uh, Carmine Persico. Sessa, a loyalist, goes right to Persico with it. And uh, he got word to him in jail that Arena is trying to take over the family. Persico is incensed, naturally, and orders a hit on uh, Arena. It was an attempted hit that didn't work out. Uh, they missed, basically. Now the war is on. And it was a brutal war. It lasted for uh, three or four years. Uh, Twelve people were killed. Twelve, Twelve made guys. Yeah, Twelve made guys were killed, uh, including, uh, or, uh, including three civilians. 
One of them, uh, which I which uh, I recall, this was in the early '90s. I was I was still a police officer, but the 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 story stands out in my mind. This poor guy, he was a kid. He was a young guy, working in a bagel store, and they mistook him for someone else, and they killed him. And uh, that's when it really hit the media. It was a big splash. That's the last thing you want to happen. So now the police are involved. The war has to stop. And all it did was escalate it. And uh, 18, uh, 12 people killed, including three innocent bystanders. 18 associates vanished, never to be seen again. Right. And this, uh, more than uh, 80 uh, made guys and associates from both sides of the Colombo family, whichever faction you were on, were convicted because of this war, and it decimated the family. Uh, it, 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 it knocked down the made members to 70. Now, I don't know how big the family was. How big was the family? Well, you know? I, I, I actually do know. There was 500 associates, and they had 121 made men Well, it, 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 when, the, when the war it started. 21 down to 70. Right. You know, associates, when, when they're talking about how many do you have in the family, associates don't count. Yeah, but there was still 500 of them. That's a big right, family. But still, and, and, and 18 of them vanished off the face of the right. earth. And, and who knows? You know, a lot of these guys are uh, associates, but they do other stuff. They're in legitimate business. They operate on their own. Who knows how many of them took off and said, I don't want to be involved in this. So, Well, not only that, we should let our audience know, it just wasn't in New York. The Colombo family was in Florida, what was also upstate. They had holdings in New Jersey. They were partners with the Buffalino family on certain things in Philadelphia. I mean, they were in, in, in Vegas. They, they had a big Shylock business. That's where the associates come in, but they yeah. needed to be attached to somebody, and that's what an associate does. They'll, they'll use... You know, a family and say, you know, I'm with this family, and they vouch for them. Because Vegas was an open territory, which most people didn't know. That Vegas, you could be a part of a, a lot of fam What the hell is that going on? What's it's that? like a rat is gnawing at our electrical yeah. lines. What, the what is that? What was it? Since it was, we don't care anymore. That is funny. It sounded like a phone vibrating or something. I know, but where's the phone? <laughs> Beats me. Anyway, anyway we're not worried about that. So and, and I'll, for the, our audience, that was probably the FBI bugging our, <laughs> our broadcast because they know we're talking about a lot of stuff. But, but yeah, I wonder what, we, what we were talking about before we were rudely interrupted. And so, uh, th that's how associates come in. They want the, the protection, even if they're in Florida, to say, oh, I'm with the Colombos. And it, it, that's costly insurance in the long run. because you well, In that particular case, it was because if you attach your name to somebody, the other faction is going to come after you. Right. So who knows how many associates, in addition to the uh, 18 that uh, took a permanent vacation, uh, how many others just decided, I don't want any part of this, and that part of the business was destroyed. I mean, they, they, they were really hurting. And then Gregory Scarpa, the, 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 the Grim Reaper, we did a show on Scarpa, or, or his, he has been mentioned in, in the past, a true mafioso, a tough guy, uh, a vicious gangster, uh, a psychopath. He goes on the Carmine Persico side, and now the war is really heating up, because he doesn't value human life at all, this guy. He's no. ambushed uh, by uh, the other faction, and got his eyes shot out, which he probably stuck back in his head. Now, that's a tough guy. Yeah, hello. I mean, uh, uh, so how, how did all this basically end? Uh, Arena was way over his head. Arena didn't have a reputation like Carmine Presco had, like Scarper and all these other guys. But what started, it just, it just you know, snowballed. He, uh, he was going to die. Presco... Uh, wasn't going to call a truce, and everybody was going to die that wasn't on his side. Right. Fortunately for Arena, he gets arrested, convicted uh, of a racketeering under RICO, murder, etc. 
He receives three life sentences to run consecutively. And if that's not enough, they tack on 85 years. Wow. So he's still uh, he's still in. If he's still alive, I don't even know. Is he still alive? I don't. You know, I don't know. I didn't look. Uh, Megan, you, you, you want to check on that while we're uh, talking here? Victor Arena, R O. Yeah, sure. Why don't we cut to a quick commercial break? That's we'll perfect. We'll look for that and we'll come back. Perfect. We'll be right back. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco Extra Virgin Olive Oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces, marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneBuyingItalian.com That's CorleoneBuyingItalian.com Okay, Victor Arena. Okay, Victor Arena. I, I, I can do that. Oh, okay. He's still alive. He's, but he's still in. How old are Oh, yeah, he's life imprisonment. How old is he? He's 86. Born in 1934. You know, actually 86 years old and still being in prison. What a freaking life. While in prison, he's become a Catholic Eucharistic minister. There you go. He's going to start a church when he gets out. <laughs> oh, my. If he does. Or he wants to get Our, close to God. Our Lady of the Broken Nose. Well, let me say this to you. Don't forget Sonny Franchese. He was into 101. Oh, yeah, these guys live Yeah, there. right. That's wild. Okay, let's All come right, back to the commercial. do we want to come back on, Pat, yeah. and then you can pick up where you left off about sure. Arena? We're back from All our right, commercial. Johnny. Pat, you want to pick up with hey, Arena? We're back. Thank you for staying with us. Anyway, Victor Arena, three life sentences plus 85 years, 58 soldiers and associates, 42 from the, from the Persico faction, and 16 from the Arena faction were sent to prison. Technically, Persico wins the battle, wins the war. But what, what did he really win? I mean, he's, he's still in the can. The family is decimated. Uh, and they still, uh, you know, strength-wise, power-wise, earning-wise, they, they, they never got over that war. Right. They never got from it. But the, you know the interesting thing to me, knowing Junior the way I did and did, did I have to say now because you know he he ran the family until 2019 when he died. I mean he ran the family all those years through that. And for me, I mean I, I mean I we've said this before on the show, but you know when Tommy Bellotti called me that morning of June 28th. 1971 and said don't go to the rally which was Colombo's whole thing you know with the anti-defamation league and him and I had some business that was coming up September uh, 1972 in February for the world premieres because Paramount had given us all the world premieres in every city and I didn't know when I got the call what was going on, and they said, "Don't are you going to the rally?" I said, "Yeah, I'm going to the rally." He said, "Well, you can't go." I said, "I'm on the dais," and Tommy Bellotti said to me, and for our audience that don't remember who Tommy Bellotti is, Tommy Bellotti became the underboss to the Gambino family for just a short time under Paul Castellano, when Gambino made him the boss over O'Neill Della Croco which was the street boss, and everybody thought he'd become the, the natural boss. But for some reason, Gambino liked his cousin and made Paul the boss for the business end because he was so smart, Gambino, he was looking at the more legitimate businesses they already had, like Dial Poultry, Western Beef. They had so many legitimate businesses going already then that they wanted Paul, but... 
Paul was very cheap. Nobody in the Gambino family liked him, especially, you know, the associates, because he wanted, you know, his tidings every Sunday, and so they killed him. But before they did that, they told me I can't go, so I, fortunately I made an excuse with uh, Barry Schlotnick, who was the league attorney, because I, I think of that all the time. If I didn't make that call and let Barry know, Barry, I, I, I the stomach flu, I don't know what it is, there's no way I could sit on the dais for three or four hours, explain to Joe, I appreciate everything he did, because indirectly he got me the part of Carlo and the Godfather. Now, imagine if I didn't have that part, we wouldn't even have a podcast. <laughs> you would have, you would have never you wrote a book about me. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I never asked you this, uh, and even that we have this episode in our book, when you were told, don't come to, the, uh, to this event, did you have an inkling of what was going to happen or you just didn't? Question it, and I, I knew I knew that they called uh, Colombo in a couple of times, the commission, and Gambino himself, because Gambino w was the boss of the five families in New York, and the commission went to them first and said, "You can't control this guy," because he was picketing, you know, the FBI building. He was creating all this publicity, not realizing he's in a secret organization. You're not supposed to be on television. I was there at the FBI building too when he had the pickets. Oh, you're kidding! I did the security. Yeah. So, so what, what was your feeling about that? Uh, I tell you, I, I tell you who I met and who I spoke to. Uh, you call it a length, maybe five or ten minutes. A thousand people there was uh, Francesi's Sony Francesi's wife. She, she she was carrying a picket sign. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, because she wanted her husband out of jail. I mean, of that course. Was what he, he got to 53 years for bank yeah, robbery yeah. that he didn't commit. He never stuck up a bank. But, oh, anyway, uh, but like you're I, saying, so many of those wives and supporters and girlfriends, they rallied from That's why you have 50,000 people in Columbus Circle. I, I, I was on, you know, one of those uh, wooden barriers that separates the crowd from the building, you know? I, I was on one of those barriers, and she was standing there. We just started talking. Nice lady. Right. And I you know, you don't look like a gangster, and she laughed. She says, and, you know, "Is that Michael's mother? Did you find out?" That's Michael's mother. Yeah, yeah I thought so. She actually picked it, but a very, very nice, pleasant woman. And she was, uh, you know, her heart was in it. She wanted her husband out of prison. Yeah, well, I mean, so when when Gambino couldn't control him, then the commission had a meeting, and they knew they had to whack him. So they they wanted. He loved the grandstand. So my understanding was Joe Gallo approached them. They were, he wanted to take them out because, don't forget, he was with the Pafacci family. And he loved Joe Pafacci when he got went to prison. And so that whole thing, Joe wanted his family back, and they said, if you take him out, who knows? Because the Pafacci family originally was Pafacci turned into Colombo family. Yeah, but you didn't really answer the question. Did you have an inkling about what was going to happen? No, I, I thought they were going to just, you know, destroy the rally and they didn't want me on the dais. I thought they were going to counter. I had no idea they were going to shoot Joe. But, you know, I, I was naive enough. I didn't think they were going to kill John F. Kennedy. I thought they were going to kill Robert. So I've been wrong twice already. <laughs> yeah, that's not being naive, shooting a president. You know, I mean, how often does that happen? But. This is not your classic mafia hit with 50,000 people as witnesses. You know, yeah, so well, they I, want him to go out in style, is what uh, somebody said about Gambino. Oh, yeah? He wants the headlines. We're going to give him a headline. Well, and yeah. it was a big headline. Well, with this uh, with this last Colombo War, the, the, the third Colombo War, the commission, while the war was raging, wouldn't have anything to do with the Colombos. Oh, I know. Uh, and... They actually considered dissolving the family. They were very close to just getting rid of the client. I don't mean killing everybody. I mean just dissolving it. Well, I, I but see what I think if Arena wasn't put in jail, that would have happened. They would have took out Arena and everybody else. Well, because yes, as you said, it was bad business. Yeah. Well, 
Anthony Castle jumped right on this when he heard that they wanted to dissolve the family. He was willing, you know, like it's a big stretch. He wanted to take all the Colombo soldiers on with him, start his own family. And that, that's what happens. The, the, you know, it's, it's interesting for our audience to hear that. A lot of people say to me for years, how did you never get dragged into this kind of life? You're around it all the time. But I used to see these decisions on Sunday morning. I was in my teens. But Gambino allowed me in the Ravenite because we, we were like family. He knew my uncle. He knew everybody. And I, he knew and told everybody, don't ever put your arm around this kid, which means don't try to make him or bring him with you. We had, we had a conversation in Chicago because Nick Nitty and I got really close. And, and uh, you know, Sa Sam Giancana once said, you know, you're spending so much time in Vegas and Chicago, why don't you come with us now? And uh, I told Colombo that, I mean, uh, Costello before he died. And uh, they sent a message. And Carlo, uh, um, um, Jesus, uh, the old man, Ocado, didn't know that Sam approached me on that because he knew that. And he told me, so you can never touch this kid. And you, you embarrassed us by asking him to come to the Chicago outfit. But I had so much respect at that time. We were earning so much money. Nobody cared where I was, really. They got their end. Yeah. And that's what it's always about. That's where I was going. Because, you know, you could be like so many people, like the John Gotti's. They were so enamored with that life. But that's a heavy dues. Either you're going to pay with your life, or once you can't be paying them, you're out. So where are you? You got, you got nothing. I was able to maintain a friendship through every family that was out there and still have those friendships, and with their children now. But when you think about that world then, like you're pointing out, how even like a, a family like the Colombo family can go against each other, and even the guys that were sworn in to stay loyal to Colombo, they didn't keep that oath even to Colombo. You know, you're obviously uh, was more involved with that life. I, I just know it because I was on a, a periphery and I was a cop. But my attitude has always been since I've, I've been a kid, you know, I said, you know, no one ever comes out of that life. There's no upside to being in the mob except when you're making a couple of bucks at that present time, but for longevity, to, to, to keep your family together, you, you know, your real family, your, right. your nuclear family, to, to, to stay out of prison, and what's the upside of that, that life? Well, you know, there, there was a tremendous upside early on, like we pointed out. Joe Pofacci was a, a, a multi-millionaire legitimately in the olive oil business. Carlo Gambino had a natural death. Frank Costello had a natural death. They ran things the way it was supposed to. And then Rico came along. Then Rico uh, came along. I, I'm talking about now. Anybody that Oh, now. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. With, with the technology being that it is, with the laws being what they are, Rico is the main one, but the, 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 you know, the technology, you can't sneeze without it being picked up on somebody's microphone. I don't understand how, the, how how people, unless, you know, you grow up in, in a neighborhood, your family gets you into it, and, you, you know, you think it's good, but you're deluding yourself. Well, you know, I, I think the kids that are in it now are basically in it all for the wrong reasons. They're in it for a fast buck and yeah. some power. And it's going to be a short-lived life anyway for them. So I, I may, they may not have had a choice. You know, they were thrown into it. Because yeah, like well, you, I don't know who, it, it, why. You know, the John Gotti's of the world, Vic Arena, had, had his sons involved in this war. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I can't imagine being in that life and saying, well, you know what I want my kid to do? I want him to be a made guy. I mean, is, is, is that common? No, I mean, and, and, and I, I totally agree with you. And, and, and at this point, let's go to a commercial. We'll be right back. Thank you. Our second sponsor tonight is very close to me personally because you know how I love to dress. 
La Cosa Mia will be coming soon. This is just a teaser. Each week we'll be bringing you more ways to get in touch once their website is up. This line of clothing is from all over the world, and I'm sure you'll want to wear it. Uh, we're Thanks back. We're back from the commercial, and Pat, let's continue. This war. So the, uh, the Colombo family is out of the commission, uh, which uh, further decreased their power. They didn't get back. They weren't allowed back in until 2002 uh, in, in, in a greatly weakened state. But they're back in the fold, and they have been for the last 17 years. But I don't even know what they're doing at this point. You never hear from them. They're very weakened, and, and they, they never came back, uh, you know. But well, they're, they're still considered. But you know, they're still considered, as you know, one of the five families in New York. Maybe just to keep the roster going, and maybe they're going to come back with some kind of great invention. <laughs> I don't know what it could be. Who's the, who's the current boss? That's another thing. I don't know who stepped in. Junior just died. Junior died in, in uh, 2019, March 10th, two days before our book came out. Because, as you know, we wrote a little bit about him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, when, I thought we were going to hear from somebody. I did too. But uh, that's an interesting. I wonder who, who stepped in. I mean, that, that's how under the radar there are. But you know, they're saying that about the Gambinos right now too. When Frank yeah, Cali right. got killed last year, he was the guy they sent over yeah, from, from Sicily. Supposed, this is the way you're supposed to run a family. Right. You're not supposed to know. Yeah. You know? So maybe uh, you know it could be the guy down the block. I don't know who's, but somebody somebody's got to be running it. And I don't, I, but I don't know what they're doing, which is good too. They're going back to the old ways. Let's leave it at that. That's the way it should be. Right. It's a, right. yeah. It's supposed to be. But like you were pointing out, who would recommend their their kids, like John did? John brought his son into something that he had no no right to be in. His mother was Jewish. He got him made, which is against the commission, everything. And uh, what's that? Further weakens the organization. Oh, I know. Like, all these things to occur when they're not supposed to be occurring. Right. I mean, they, anyway. Well, I guess we should go to the mailbag. Megan, you got some interesting mail for us, sweetheart? Oh, of course I do. We should take a quick commercial break, though, before we, before we get to that. All right, perfect. Great. Take care of our sponsors because they're taking care of us. We'll be right back. Hi, Patrick Picciarelli here. Before we get to our listeners' emails, a quick word about the new fiction book series I've launched. Private investigator Ray Yale tackles his first two cases in Bloodshot Eyes and The Pop Line. Both books are in paperback and are available on Amazon.com. I've been a PI for 30 years, and these books are based on my cases. Enjoy. And we're back. Time for the mailbag. Right. Let's get to it. I love First the First question we have is from Lynn. Lynn says, Gianni, was there ever an instance when you may have been uncomfortable or nervous on the set of The Godfather? Nope. <laughs> nope. I was Never, just happy to be there. No. I couldn't wait to Anxious, get there. Anxious, excited, maybe? Anxious, yes. Not uncomfortable. Oh, okay. How about the last scene before you die? No, I was I was anxious to see how they were going to do it. You know, I, we did the rehearsals, and they had a stunt driver, and they tested the glass. They changed several windshields. They weighed my shoes. Then they put, uh, they had several pairs of shoes, and the the pair that we finally did wear were lead sole shoes. And then they scored the window in a way because Francis wanted that dramatics of my feet going through the windshield, but people don't realize those old windshields had thick plastic in it, so all that crunching and everything else, it was a guy like you know on the end of a fish line gasping for his last breath and it worked it looked like i did it <laughs> yeah let me ask you this yeah. oh go ahead pat no go ahead um i was about to say let me ask you this were you were you nervous 
at all during the first screening of it, the first time you saw it completed? You know, I, I, I answered that um, when I snuck back into New York in, in 72, February of 72, because uh, part of our subject matter tonight, the Colombo family was looking for me to ask why I wasn't on the dais. The FBI was looking for me to ask why I wasn't on the dais because it was an open case yet. It was only six months old. And, uh, and organized crime wanted to know why I wasn't on the dais. So I, I went to the, walked the, you know, the red carpet and heard my name on the loudspeaker. I walked in, waited for the theater to go you know, and they they announced all the stars that were there in in the in the audience, and then once they finished that, I went for popcorn and never came back. <laughs> so I didn't <laughs> see the I didn't see the movie for a while. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then I went. Huh. To, I was staying. I, I could say it now. I was at the Warwick Hotel, which was halfway between. Uh, they were on Fifty Fifth Street and Sixth Avenue. We went to New York Paramount on 42nd Street, so I walked there, and then I walked from 6th Avenue to 5th Avenue to the St. Regis Hotel where the ball was upstairs. But, uh, no, that was so a strange went, time so, for me. So you didn't see the movie, but you went to the party. I went to both parties just to get my picture taken and all that. I knew they were going to kill somebody at the party. We had so much security because Henry Kissinger was there also. And it was on top of the St. Regis Hotel. And I never checked into the St. Regis Hotel. They had a room for me. But I stood at the Warwick Hotel under an alias. And I was out the next morning on an alias, because that was before 9-11. You could fly as Mary Jane if you wanted to, and they'd let you on a plane, as long as you had a, a paid ticket. So that whole time, even during the Colombo Wars, I was under the radar, man, in Vegas. Hmm. All right. Next one is from Pete. Patrick, besides Hollywood Godfather, what is your favorite book you've ever written? Favorite book, I would say, would be the first one. Uh, Jimmy the Wag, Street Stories of a Private Eye. Because I didn't want to write a true crime book like all the other true crime books. And while it was a serious subject, the guy that I wrote about, James Wagner, was a very good friend of mine. A hero police officer wound up getting convicted of uh, of a crime, and a lot of it was serious. His his, his uh, son was diagnosed with a, a serious life threatening disease, so there was some down moments in it. But I actually made the book funny. Wow! And the publishers had never seen that before, and to this day, this was nineteen ninety nine. That that my first book was my biggest advance that I ever got. Really. First thing I ever wrote, other than shopping lists and stuff like that, but uh, <laughs> first book I ever wrote, and uh, yeah, I just did it differently. And I, I tell you, I reread it every couple of years. No, not like maybe five or six years, and I still laugh at it. And I wrote it; it's funny. That's good. <laughs> that's that's my favorite. Well, I hope I we I hope we break your record <laughs> with our upcoming book. <laughs> Selfishly. <laughs> I, I don't think we're going to have a problem doing that, yeah. you know, considering how our book is doing now. Right. We're going, to, we're going to hold out. All right, perfect. Next. All right. Next is from Angelo. We touched on this a bit last week with our episode or with our um, guest, Pat Cooper. Gianni, how would you compare Las Vegas today to Las Vegas during the State Street days? What is one of your favorite Vegas memories? This is from Angelo. I just liked going to shows. I mean, I was the guy that you'd go to an 8 o'clock show, then go have dinner and go to a 12 o'clock show. I loved the, the stars. I loved the, the recognition in the audience after my godfather days. It, it, you know, <coughs> how could you not like that life? I mean, Vegas, Vegas in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, I think were the best years of Vegas. What was your favorite lounge act? I never asked you that either. I, I know who my favorite was. I know who yours is, and it was mine. Louis Prima and Keely Smith. Louis Prima, man. What a, I mean, what an entertainer. What a showman. And they'd stay on five or six hours. The sun would come up. They loved their craft. 
Sam Butera on sax. Butera and the witnesses. Yep, that's it. Yep. What a great act. That's why the Sands Hotel was the hotel. When you had the Copa Room with the Rat Pack on stage and Louis Prima in the lounge, you you aren't nowhere. For those of you who never heard of Louis Primo or, ha or haven't heard his music, uh, his uh, all his music is still around. Go to Amazon and, and get a get a CD or stream it, whatever you have to do, because you can't help but get involved when he's entertaining. And he'll put a smile on your face, especially Absolutely. especially for these times in our life. All right, next is from Britt. Gianni, when was the last time you spoke to Al Pacino and Robert De Niro? Would they ever want to be on your show? No, none of them would be on our show. And uh, they're very strange dudes. I mean, <laughs> they're probably reading their own press clippings. And uh, I spoke to both of them. And Al Pacino was very honest. He said, Gianni, I've been asked to do 100 of them. If I do yours, how do I say no to other friends of mine? Which was, you know, he's right. And uh, De Niro, uh, I would never ask, because if De Niro, I don't know how many people saw the um, Colbert show recently, where he said, I, I, I have nothing to say. Why do I want to come on? And Colbert said, you can come on for 15 minutes and say nothing. And he took him on the challenge. And you got to see that, that last show he did. They absolutely said nothing for two commercial breaks. Well, even when he's being uh, interviewed with, without, you know, that kind of shtick, he's a yes and a no guy. Oh, yeah. If it's not on the page, he has no conversation. You know who was like that also? Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood was the worst talk show guest because he's, he's an actor. If it ain't on the page, he has nothing to say. It's so funny. All right. Next is from Stanley. Stanley says, some people say that Michael Buble is today's Frank Sinatra. Yes, maybe he has a similar style to Sinatra, but do you think any sort of statement will ever be true? Well, first of all, I knew the people, and one of the, one of the guys who created Michael Buble was our guest and very close friend of mine, who was Paul Anka and David Forrester. Now, if you have two guys like that writing you music, and in fact, I, when I saw David Forrester on the Today Show playing piano for Michael Buble, and this guy is telling me a whole story that, you know, how he was raised in Canada in a basement, listening to Sinatra music. I, I didn't like the guy to begin with. Because, you know, leave Sinatra alone. And then uh, Paul Anker, this is a funny story. Paul Anker sees me during the Grammys and I was at the, at the Polo Lounge in Beverly Hills, and he said, Johnny, I got Michael Buble with me. I, I would love for you to say hello to him. I said, I'm not saying hello to him. He said, what are you talking about? He's Michael Buble. I said, I don't like the guy. <laughs> Somebody's calling us again. What is that noise? Is, do, is there a phone around here that I don't know? Your phone must be vibrating somewhere against like a table. on the floor somewhere. Well... Whoever that was, it was Michael Buble saying, don't badmouth me. Anyway. He's calling you saying enough, enough smack talk. No, so what happens is he brings him over to me anyway. And I said, Paul, what are you doing? And, the, and Michael Buble says to me, uh, Paul tells me you knew the old man. I said, what did you just say? Who's old man? You, he calls Sinatra the old man. I know. It's instead just, of Frank Sinatra. <laughs> no, that's it. You know, that was the thing his friends would say, you know, about him. But who are you, you punk from Canada? Forget about it. Uh -oh. <laughs> Nothing Canada. I tried that. Didn't work, Johnny. <laughs> so, next. Right. Next is from Jeff. Jeff says, Mr. Russo, do any of your kids share the same talent for acting and singing? Well, I, I, I wouldn't say talent, because I don't think I have any. I'm very lucky. But I, <laughs> but I think they, I have a few of them that are trying, but I, I, I totally recommend they don't. It's a hard business. <laughs> That's true. All right, next is from Barbara. 
Barbara says, Gianni, did you ever know Judy Garland? How about Liza Minnelli? If so, do you still keep in touch? Obviously, well, with not Judy. But. Well, Judy Garland. I love Judy Garland. Obviously, you don't listen to our podcast. My friend Jimmy Mack was going out with her for a long time. We had a lot of late breakfasts with her in our house. In fact, I met Liza the first time going to school with her brother Joey, leaving the apartment on 72nd Street, and then spin forward maybe eight, nine years later, I got engaged to her, <laughs> which was a joke. We have quite a bit of our book, well, not quite a bit, but there's a portion of our book devoted to Liza. I know. So that, that email person did not read our book. They are banned from the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Buy the book. You'll learn a lot about Liza and, and Judy. And in case you don't know, the book is named, or the, the podcast is named after the book, Hollywood Godfather, My yeah. Life in the Movie and the Mob. Yeah, I have to try that one out. We'll see yeah. how it goes. <laughs> All right, next is from Ben. Gianni, seeing as it seems like you know everything about everything, what do you think happened when Natalie Wood died? I know what happened to Natalie Wood. Her husband threw her overboard, and he's still, still getting away with it. But her girlfriend and I think her, her sister are trying to open that case. He's still alive, you know, R.J., Call me R.J. I'm saying to myself, get the hell out of here, R.J. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are. Uh, her, her, her sister, Lana, uh, was in the papers about about a year ago, and she said she, she thinks she's going to be successful in reopening that case. Well, the, um, the, the boat captain wrote some stuff that now is coming out. But, you know, what a, what a shame, what a talent she was. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah. All right, next is from Olivia. Patrick, what made you want to become a professor? Actually, I became a, a, a professor like accident. It was an accident. It's, it's, it's Were like you on the professor bus going and you had it crashed? Yeah. <laughs> how, do you, like, how do you become a professor by accident? You're so funny. <laughs> it's like waking up pregnant and saying, how the hell did that happen? Anyway... I, <laughs> I got a call from the head of uh, a department at California University who had read, come to think of it, Jimmy the Wag, Street Stories of a Private Eye. I said, it was a great book. I just wanted to call you and, and congratulate you. And I'm thinking, that's not all he wants. So he said, you know, he said, would you be interested in, uh, in teaching on a university level? Well, I had never taught before. Uh, I, I taught in the police academy for a brief period of time, because I was one of the few cops with a college degree back in the day. But I said, well, I'm willing to listen. You know, I said, you know, I didn't even think about it. Anyway, I go out there the next day. School is only 10 minutes from my house, which which was an attraction for me. I wouldn't have to travel. And the guy takes me to lunch and he said, you know, this is how it works. And he told me what the salary was in the state university it was an attractive salary. Well, that's as they say, you know, the rest is history. I was there for 19 years. Recently got fired, by the way. But uh, I was there for 19 years. Wow. I, I just happened to fall into it, and I found that of all the work that I've done, and police work, PI work, uh, being in, in the Army during, during wartime, teaching is the most rewarding thing I've ever done as far as employment goes. To this day, I still hear from students I had 15, 18 years ago keeping in touch, asking questions. And of course, when they get in trouble, I'm the first guy they, they call. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I loved it while it went on, but hey, it's, it's time to move on. I, I, it, in case the people don't know it, I write books now. <laughs> and uh, Johnny's going to keep me pretty busy. And uh, You know, the I'm interesting not- thing, what I just found out about you, is that you're talking to a guy, me, who's never had a career, and a job that I went to every day. You've had two 20-year careers almost, one in the police department and one as a professor. That's amazing. Uh, to me, it, it, it was a pleasure, but of late, the last two years, I've only taken, I've only taught one class because we're busy. You yeah. know, we're writing books and all these, these other things we have going on. And uh, So anyway, they called me, the, uh, the schools merged and uh, the COVID thing and they, they, they're, 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 you know, cutting personnel. 
They apologized up and down. I just, you know, such is life. Yeah. You know, it's, I'm going to miss it. Yeah, but I think, like you pointed out, the next two or three years for us, it's going to be yeah, insane. Moving on. All right, guys. Well, that's actually all I have for tonight. Time is up. Well, thank you all, and thank you out there, please, in Radio Land, which I love. And we love your reviews. We're getting a bigger following for you. And um, just keep the cards and let us come again, because we miss you if you don't. Good night. Good night, Pat. Good night, Megan. Good night, Meg. Good night, guys. I love this music. Woo! If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be wrong. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3033. Regarding Gianni's motivational speaking appearances, you can visit his website, giannirusso.com. Feinstein's. I love being here, man. It's so much fun all the time being here. Yeah, 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 yeah.